Hello. Hello. Great. We're doing it. Yeah. Give me a little update. Give me a check-in. What's new? Hmm. What do I need to know? <laughs> That's a better question. Not what's new. I'm sure there's a lot new, but what do I need to know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a harder question. Um, well, I had a um, really good meeting with the Luna Solterra group yesterday, and that's where I was starting to figure out, okay, I've got a, a new website for lunasolterra.art um, that I started yesterday. And so it's just a shell at the moment. So I'm still figuring out, okay, what is that? What is it going to be? And so it feels like that's kind of the process that I'm in is um, I just came out of a meeting with the investors group. I shared a little bit of the story of running up that hill. Um, and afterwards I was thinking, oh, it's, it's kind of a litmus test of just finding out what kind of reception I'm getting. And, and it felt like no one really blinked an eyelid at, at the idea. And so, huh, okay. Well, there's something beautiful happening in that, that gathering that is, that is open, but also inspiring some of the stories that I was sharing there. Um, John Golden, who I met through um, Rob Bell's podcast, um, he's exploring this idea of how do we create a new economy? And so that's a lot of the discussion that's been coming up in other meetings. So we had a World Weavers group, we had the Luna Solterra group, and then this group. And and then there was the other meetings with um, Stephanie and Stroopy. And so there, it feels like there's a lot of things that are happening that are connecting those dots, weaving them together. And um, it's this whole idea of how the universe is full of light and it's weaving things together. I had a meeting again with um, Mark Wagner this morning as well which was a two hour meeting we hadn't expected. He thought, I don't have a lot of time this morning, but something about the meeting, our conversation was inspiring him to stay there and just see it through to the end. And that was kind of exploring those, those themes as well of how light and shadow are interplaying and creating a toroidal field of relationships. And so a lot of things are being uncovered right now. Um, I think that's a pretty good summary. Oh, oh, um, feels like there's a lot of darkness that we're struggling through in our family because of past patterns and it's a lot of frustration about lack of energy, lack of sleep, lack of finding the equilibrium where everyone is feeling really nurtured in this space because it's like everything's on chaos. We're trying to figure out how to manage a dog and a cat who are starting to like each other a little bit. Not really. The cat hates hates the imposition, but it's more around 
Everett, the 18-month-year-old boy who's trying to assert some agency and some some control over his environment. And so he's like anywhere he can find a button, he's pushing them. And so it's actually like pushing emotional buttons all over the place that are like driving driving emotions up to really high intensities. And and so I'm trying to keep things manageable, but there's been moments where I'm like, no, I'm out of energy. I gotta give myself a timeout. Because <clears throat> I can I can see the way I'm relating even to the dog and and to Everett that emotions are at a high for me too. So I had to like I need the rest. Um I'll pull it together and you know um change the situation so I can't handle a dog and a child at the same time because they're going in two different directions. One wants to run off a cliff while I'm going in the other direction. So that's what was scaring me was like the actual physical cliff there. And like, I got to pull you back, hold you, carry you all the way back home. And then once I have the, the dog safe, then we can have some fun, go to, go to the water park and then we're good. But I had to find my, my way of dealing with that situation so that we came home. We had, I fed him. And then when, um, Alex and Jane came home from shopping. That was the whole plan was give them some time to themselves. It was great. Tag, you're it. I got to go. <laughs> and so I just, I think I just went to sleep pretty quick after that. Um, yeah. So it's been that sort of thing of how do we co-regulate? How do we find ways to help each other with with our overstimulation of all this. And, and so that's why we're, you know, this isn't exactly my plan, but I know Alex can't do this on her own. She needs the help right now. So that's why we're going to do the best we can, even though this is neither mine or, or Jane's ideal situation. So we're like, it's a mess here. So how do we live with a mess, clean it up as best we can as we go along? And if things are like, oh, well, that happened. Everett's just peeing in the corner of a house, the house now. <laughs> so those sorts of things. Like, So it's Jane sort of talking Alex down. You don't think you did that? <laughs> You're... You're totally upset that this is happening and getting mad at him and this whole situation, thinking that you're able to fix all of these things and I'll clean it up. And well, I mean, we appreciate that and your desire to make sure it's all nice and tidy when you leave, but we know that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's not practically possible for you to be this perfect image of who you want to be. So we'll, we'll make do. We'll, we'll figure it out together. So that's like, we're, we're finding our way, but it's, yeah, it's challenging, fun. It's also been times of just going out into the 
the forest, playing in the creek. That's where it's just fun. And come back to the box and try to figure out how to keep all the boxes tidy. Like it doesn't work that way. So it's interesting just how we impose these ideas of how things need to be. And then like, no, life is messy. And it's a, it's a mixture of everything out there. The, the logs are falling over. The other trees are growing out of the log. There's, there's this mixture of life and death all around us if we go into the forest. But when we get into our boxes, well, no, there's a box for people who are dying over here. And there's a box for people who are living over here. And those things don't, they don't mix. Stop making that messy thing where, where sometimes they do get intertwined. And then you got to wonder, well, how does, like, it was weird eating an orange this morning going, oh, wow, this is like, kind of a nest of life and I'm breaking it open and then consuming it. Like there's a little bit of violence in there in, in, in taking what should have had seeds in it, but didn't have seeds. Right. But if it had seeds, it had the potential for life in it. That could be a tree, but I'm preventing that eventuality by consuming it. Oh, that's interesting thought. (laughs) Like the life was transferred to you instead of a tree. Right. Yeah. But it was interesting being mindful of that. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't normally be in that space of like, oh, mindlessly eating whatever. And oh, wow. Like all the time we're making these transfers of energy and life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to reflect back to you about the comment about the state of your family yeah. and like not feeling nurtured in this space. And I think there's an opportunity to really take what you're noticing as far as like life is messy life is chaotic mm-hmm. and consider it sounds like you handled the situation with the cliff and the multiple sources of <laughs> urgent need for care uh, <laughs> and including yourself yeah. uh, and your desire to care for Alice and Jane as well mm. it sounds like you handled it perfectly I mean it sounds to me like you did your absolute best. You mm-hmm. were you were able to give yourself a timeout and and a break um, when you needed it, mm-hmm. um, and like everybody got their needs met. So I'm wondering if like this desire for nurturance could be more about Luna and this mm-hmm. focus on wonder, this wonderment, mm-hmm. and like could you just be in wonderment about how like somehow everything's okay? Yeah. Somehow everything's being taken care of and like, yes, that is a lot of responsibility and hassle and cleaning pee out of corners. Like nobody is ever going to be like, (laughs) maybe you could approach that, you know, maybe there's some um, way to get curious in this situation. How do you feel about that? What are you feeling? Yeah, well, that's been a theme that just keeps on coming up is the terrifying beauty of life you know the the paradox of how messy everything can get so i've been listening to rebecca solnit um just she came up in in some sort of podcast recently and then it keyed me into oh i think it was um probably cbc ideas i don't know that was recognizing she's got a new book out called 
um, Orwell's Roses. And so we think of Orwell being this dystopian novelist, but we don't know what was inspiring him to write this way is because he was inspired by nature, inspired by growing his garden. Um, and his roses are one of the things that have survived all these years. Um, so sometimes we miss the beauty in his novels as he's trying to contrast. Here's, here's this oppressive system and he's dying of tuberculosis as he's, as he's writing 1984. And so he's embodying this in his story is the impressiveness of, of his impending death because of this illness that he can't control. But he's recalling all these moments of beauty in the midst of all this oppression. And, and so <laughs> somehow I'm relating this to the story and I can't remember where I've heard this of, of, um, someone falling off a cliff and this is like a, the Buddhist story of hanging on to a strawberry as like, that's what's his death is imminent. And what does he do at that moment? Enjoy the strawberry because <laughs> death is going to happen anyway. Might as well enjoy that moment. So it's just the wonder of like, we're always riding that edge of, of mortality and wondering what's the meaning of all this? Well, maybe to enjoy the strawberry right at that moment. <laughs> yeah. The question that came to me uh, is what strawberry do you have in your hand that you can enjoy and eat right now? <laughs> that would be a potent mindset yeah. to introduce. Well, that's the, the joy of conversation has been and that, and the power of conversation has been really coming out through stories like um, uh, Rachel Naomi Remen speaking with Krista Tippett about how, as a medical professional, she recognizes this profession is toxic. It's destroying people. It's putting people through this like hamburger grinder of you've got to know all your stuff. You've got to be able to do all these things we are finding cures for these people and then administering them as best as we can. And in the midst of that, just crushing their spirits and their, their ability to connect at an emotional level with their patients. And what she's bringing back into the profession is these are beautiful people who really want to give of themselves for the betterment of the world through going through this process of learning how to be healers, except they go into this mode of, oh, we're experts. Now we're providing cures. But she's contrasting that with, but innately as human beings, we heal each other. And we do that through generous listening. We can all do that. So to deny each other this possibility by going, no, this is the medical establishment. This is how it works. You go to the experts. You then you find the cure to your ailment. And but what was came out of that discussion this morning with with Mark Wagner was, and they can't even say that they're curing because you know they're looking for the cure, but they can't promise anyone a cure. To say so would be 
um, violating that social structure that says there's no cure. There's just pathologies that we have to deal with. So we can give you a pill or create a surgical intervention, but you're all going to die. So <laughs> that's the best we can do. And if if we're always in that mode of trying to find that physical perfection that we can never achieve because we're focusing on all the parts without thinking of the whole, then we lose the ability to heal that that desire to be whole human beings. Amazing. That reminded me of something that I read in your reflections. So I'm just going to jump straight into that if that's okay. Yeah. Exercise eight. I highlighted this. Okay. Share my screen. So here we can start at the beginning. Becoming um, who you're meant to be, fulfilling your life purpose. So something beautiful that you have been good at is drawing and reading. And of course, all these are important, but I'm, I'm pulling mm-hmm. it through patterns, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a beautiful little nugget here is worth returning to. And so is this one about, I wish I'd finished my degree. That for me is a very, very clear sign of a next step for you. Uh, that's that wishing is is not for nothing hmm. and, and deserves to be validated and, and honored. This is a, the part that I'm thinking about right now, which is if I don't like what I'm working on, if it doesn't meet my expectations, I get frustrated and stop. Mm-hmm. And you were just speaking to this quite beautifully about how the process that they were describing is pulling out one piece and saying, well, this isn't perfect. We don't know for sure. We can't prove without a shadow of a doubt, 100%. So then that somehow devalues the whole process of Mm -hmm. healing. And so I'm wondering if you can transfer that logic to your work. And when you're exercising this drawing and painting muscle that you don't really use anymore, If there's something there for you to meditate on about how maybe you have a newfound ability to actually be with the wholeness of your art. And when something that you're drawing or painting has a flaw or a perceived shortcoming, perhaps there's a new capacity within you to see the wholeness of what you're working on. And that maybe within that wholeness, that that shortcoming is actually okay. And I think what I'm getting at is, is I'm curious about you exploring drawing and painting now that you have a mindfulness practice and have this new personality and are exploring this transformation process. What comes up for you? Are you open? Yeah. To oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think this is where I have a feeling of scarcity around time I think and my my desires to do those sorts of things are are in tension with but there's so many things that need to be done (laughs) if I do that then there's an opportunity cost and um, but but also it's a little bit of everything all at once. So, okay, if I was going to go down that road, I would maybe 
wouldn't necessarily be focusing on drawing and painting because that feels like I want to explore something that I haven't tried or something that transcends that older way of exploring art. And then what if art is expanding in ways where what if it's um, film or storytelling? That seems to be what's exciting me is this idea of, oh, there's people that I know who are exploring these ideas. Um, I was working on this book, uh, We Make Stuff, because this film producer or video producer was wanting to try something else. But after this project, he came back to his first love of film and thinking, I'm going to go to the Caribbean, get on a sailing ship, and then maybe create some sort of like pirate <laughs> film. <laughs> and and that's what's been coming out through our conversations over the weekend has been, well, what if this dovetails with Brett Warshawski's idea of how we create regenerative cultures by doing it through play, through drama, using the the funding of a film, for example, that can run into the millions, and it actually enables a collective of creative people to come together and, and start synergizing around, well, what would that look like? And we create the sets, but the sets are not sets that just are a facade of of what the the screenplay is about, but it's actually the embodiment of the the vision of this collective to to put this into life and then to bring that all about through the um the synergy. So I, I was suggesting, well, maybe a film is is too small. It it almost needs to be like a a twelve year series, like a Walking Dead, except it's the walking regeneration. <laughs> <laughs> and then it becomes this cultural moment of like people you don't you don't create this new world through violence against other violent people struggling over scarce resources you're actually recognizing it's all here it's all good we are figuring it out together and you can actually watch it growing in front of your eyes um that's kind of the vision i've been having have you ever been into comics um, a little bit. I didn't go deep into it, but I, I had a friend who was, he was, uh, in our band, guitarist, and, uh, he was like that cartoon character in, um, in The Simpsons, like the ponytail. <laughs> he had the whole thing going on. That was him. And he was running a comic shop. <laughs> I, I just, um, I've been getting downloaded a lot uh, the last day or two about mm. comic yeah. comics as, as an art form. Mm. And, um, I've, I've found that before. Yeah, yeah. You have. Yeah. Yeah. I played around with that. And, um, Alex is really into anime. So we've wanted to create a character together and, and work on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think there's something there as far as like this desire to be revolutionary and like have this sort of covert uh, social movement embedded mm-hmm. within your art. And um, I think that could be something interesting for you to explore if, if mm-hmm. it, it tickles your fancy. Um, yeah, that that's like a graphic novel. Yeah, that would be fun. And I think I think it's the shortcut to uh, a lot of the things that we want to see and that you want to be doing, you know, because there's mm-hmm. drawing and there's writing, you know, readers yeah. are great writers. Yeah. And um, there's this immediacy to storytelling, which is possible only through comics. And mm-hmm. and um, it also has that like consumable quality that art nowadays really thrives when it has. <laughs> um, Another yeah. interesting thread there is that the World Builders group came out of interaction with Tony Patrick. Mm-hmm. And exactly. he's, that's, that's his entrance into the whole thing is I was just making comics and now I'm engaged in world building. Like, There's yeah. something there. There's something yeah. really right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I would encourage you to to allow that to percolate, right? We're talking about fulfilling mm-hmm. life purpose here, yeah. and um, you know, starting right here with climbing trees, drawing, building with Lego, and reading. Mm-hmm. Like these, this is the root, you know, like returning here again and again. Yeah. And um, we'll we'll get into like the sort of why behind it, as far as like this right. revolutionary like covert agent on the inside spirit uh, uh, which which is going to stay at the heart of what you're doing um i totally forgot about my obsession with asterix (laughs) that's really funny you had an obsession as a child you were obsessed with the asterisk well the asterisk when i was looking through those comics i'm just i was just amazed at how beautifully drawn they are Oh, that's a comic. It's a comic, yeah, yeah. So when you're asking me about my my experience with comics, I'm like, oh, I can't really think of it. Oh, now I do. Yeah, I totally agree. like like figuring, trying to figure out. Well, how do I draw like that? That's amazing. <laughs> oh, wow, wonderful. Yeah. Well, send yeah. me some examples that inspire you. I'd love to. Yeah. Tap that. Yeah. Okay, there we go. That that was wanting to to be recalled. Then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, amazing. I think it was just the trees, like. I think there's a lot of nature in there because they're coming out of the village of the Gauls and then interacting with the Roman Empire. Like, so just these um, these silly looking characters, <laughs> a big guy and a, and a small guy, but they're super strong and, and they're essentially like the they're wearing the garb of the the barbarians but it's it's vikings they got the horns with on on their heads and fully um being those barbarians that come across the centurions and then oh we can take them and then it's just like two guys against an entire um centurion platoon and and so yeah it's pretty fun <laughs> It, it, it kind of fits in with this whole theme of, you know, subversively moving around in the forest among, amongst the the imperial colonizers and 
and besting them at every turn because they look like just harmless villagers and then they they uh they're always making um making a mess of the empire's plans <laughs> that makes me wonder um what your thoughts were about the different archetypes in the that mm. core archetypes document um number 7 uh yeah i'm oh, sorry zoom it was hard to to pick out one that actually was like oh that's the one um oh, yeah? Well, yeah, I'm a little bit of all of them. Yes. Well, that's the truth. <laughs> so it was, uh, I have to bring it up to remember now. I'll bring it up for us. Sure. Oh, good. Yeah. So the creator, the sage. <laughs> you don't, the, you don't think the that the creator was a little bit more resonant than the others for you? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, yeah. What about one of these? Yeah, it was between those three. It was the the creator. So it, they each seemed to be like different parts of my journey. Mhm. Some being more dominant than others given like what what part of the story you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So you may a dream or two, yeah, I guess so. Uh-huh. It's it's natural that many of these things find their place in our core identity. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like it can feel a lot of times like if if we lean into one, then we're not going to get the other ones. Mm. And that's just not the reality because these are aspects of our collective consciousness. Mm. So the, the the characters that we're seeing here are gateways into all that is. And so you just happen to have the creator archetype as like a wide open portal for you to access all that is. And if you're feeling resistance to that, well, that's worth looking at. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So you just said wide open portal and it's connecting to yesterday's conversation and today's conversation about the toroidal field and how, you know, it's the the darkness draws us in into a kind of death, but births us out on the other side. Um, and we're you know, always going through this process of something is being let go so that something else can be birthed. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's kind of the well, just to to bring that back around to the portal. It was Stephanie observing well if you're connecting to the heart of the earth then that's the portal to this connecting to the conversation with mark wagnon it was asking the question about oh there's this trinity which involves the imagination the intuition and curiosity and so my question to him was well you're saying that there's always a fourth point what's the fourth point in that trinity and he had to think about it and I, I replied, well, I mean, we've, we've been discussing this, being able to access other dimensions. Would it be transdimensionality? And he's, oh yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, oh, that's the portal. Like getting to the heart of Mother Earth is the portal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. I want you to write a comic about that. I want you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. 
<laughs> and and it was about the interface, you know, what's what's the dashboard for this? Yeah. And and so he had started out that conversation with what do you need? How can I resource you? Oh, well, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> and then when I got to the end of the conversation, it was well, do you know someone who's working in in programming who has some understanding of about how we figure out three-dimensional spaces because that's that's a major problem in, in computing. If we want to move towards quantum computing, we need to be using nature's coordinate system. And Bucky was saying, you've got three dimensions, you got it wrong. There's four dimensions at least in in space-time. And and so there's there's this quadra coordinate system that is basically using whole numbers. You don't have to use a floating point system anymore because that's computationally very difficult for computers to, to do floating point calculations. You need a whole other processor for that. But if you're doing quantum computing with whole numbers, now you're, you're creating orders of magnitude more efficient systems because you've cut out all that needless complexity because you've misunderstood the coordinate system. And then he said, well, actually, you just bypassed that. I've been doing this my whole life, trying to figure out how we get computers and AI to do this for us. Why don't we just connect to the existing system? And which is basically what I know Feldman was saying was, why are we using AI? We already have the system, the interface. We are the interface. <laughs> so, um, but that's that's opening up the whole realm of the the world builder's story that I was starting back in September, October, I think, was the messengers, like the quanta are the messengers. We thought the messengers were outside of the physical reality. No, they're they're fully embedded in everything. They the physical reality is the message. <laughs> so um yeah, that's the story I've been wanting to tell. <laughs> and it would make an amazing comic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It would. So I want to put a really super fine point on this that you've just described invention, innovation, dreaming and mm. art in mm-hmm. this conversation. And we, we <laughs> have gone from the desire to create things of enduring value to making visions, reality, world building, mm. um, and then we talked about perfectionism as well and this desire also impatience. Yes. You were you were saying, you know, like if it's not perfect, it's not up to my expectations, I'm gonna give up. Yeah. Uh, when you know deep inside that if it's not perfect, then it's just a matter of working harder in order to perfect it. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, I wonder how much this desire to act and your your imagination and the ability to solve problems by looking at different patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, how we can address these fears at the root here. Like the, the one fear that I, I see sort of sparkling at me is mediocrity. Um, does that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I can't be excellent, I'm not going to bother. <laughs> yeah, because being mediocre would be the worst. Yeah. It would be like death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something that. I found this, this book, it just found me on Saturday. Um, and it's about Chris Adams, who's a comic artist at the New Yorker. Mm. And, 
he said that it's a it's a fairly and he was he was quoting Charles or the introduction was quoting Charles Schultz and how uh, he said that um, comic illustration is is a fairly per- profession because you 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 only have to be fairly good at drawing and fairly good at writing in order to make it in comics. Mm. Uh, so in terms of mediocrity, uh, maybe there's not a way out from underneath the, the fear of mediocrity at present. Uh, but maybe there's a way to work with it is what I'm suggesting, Mm. you know, on your way out of this inferiority complex, (laughs) you might be able to find like a 1% better feeling thought. Mm. Uh, What are your thoughts about that right now? When I was going to college, I I realized that my skill is much more in drawing and linear artwork rather than painting. I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get the subtleties and the the values of how those colors went together. And and so every time I tried it, I was like, ah, I just don't like how that's turning out. But whenever I did something where it was essentially paint by numbers, like create the lines, fill it in with color. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> I really enjoyed the way those turned out. So there's, there's this artist, Alphonse Musha, who has this art deco style that I loved. Mm. And, and it's really just very linear, but really beautifully, beautifully drawn. And I think that that quality of line was what, really drew me to Asterix. Any anybody who was working well in that that ability to create a kind of realism that was kind of um it was more cartoonish, but but it wasn't cartoonish because of the way that it was drawn. It 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 sort of transcended that or was in the middle of that high realism that was almost like, well, that's too real, less imaginative. Whereas if you go too primitive, then it's like, then you're into Charles Schultz kind of like circles. And <laughs> I mean, you appreciate the, the, um, the way he was able to turn simplicity into a complex world of characters that, was speaking to something much more profound underneath it all. So then where do you find the balance between those two where it's not ultra reality, but it's not ultra, ultra simplicity. Um, it's finding that, that middle ground. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, that's where my particular set of skills seems to shine in that, that particular area. I can also see how this might touch upon a fear of settling, like when Mm. you're in the creative process and there are an abundance of different avenues and and paths that one can explore. At a certain point, you have to make a choice and commit to this is what I'm doing. I'm investing Mm -hmm. a lot of time and energy in this concept. And um, I could see that being an experience that that you would want to look out for as far as Mm -hmm. sabotaging yourself. And then if we're going to take this character of the creator all the way, I think the status quo being a fear of yours is 
worth looking at uh, because mm. this is a common theme in our discussions is the the status quo yeah. and you know acknowledging that sort of the essence of this this fear is really about a creator is inherently born to change the status quo right this is mm. when you create something you've changed the status quo they can't mm-hmm. coexist almost so this is sort of like your the your dragon like this is the dragon that mm. that like this fear of the status quo becomes the thing that you need to conquer in order to really progress on your journey and and be able to give your medicine and give your elixir to the world so then overcoming this the dragon of the status quo would be like taming the dragon or or defeating the dragon or the the time the actual resolution is kind of up to to me to figure out okay it is yeah I, I could see something that's coming through for me now in that inquiry is there will always be a status quo yeah and you will never be in alignment with it hmm. you will always be creating the things that change it mm-hmm. and thus are almost eternally in situated at the polarity against the status quo. So uh, and and equanimity and acceptance with that relationship, you know, like the fracking, the pipelines, the, the schools, their, their, the residential schools there, that's the status quo. And Mm it is heartbreaking. And how much of that heartache comes from a fear of that entity, the status quo. Could be an interesting yeah. inquiry for you. Well, it's interesting how the, if I'm, you know, being, if I'm playing with this idea of being a, a female or I, my authentic self is a female psyche in a male body. There's a kind of impotence that comes with that of, oh, I can't fully be a creator because I don't have a womb. And so I have to be okay with that because I can transform that into a different kind of creativity that is birthing all sorts of life from the imagination of what um, this is Luke's prompt is, well, you've been thinking about metaphysics and, and physics and how they're the, they're interacting in this toroidal field and what is, what is being synergized out of that. It's the, the awareness that there's another, there's a third kind of physics that comes out of that path of physics, the ability and the imagination to create new realities that then can become embedded into the metaphysics and the physics because it's being birthed out of imagination. Feels like a process of inquiry that you are in. It feels like an exploration that you are in the midst of, and I witnessed mm. that. 
Mm-hmm. I think um, a good place to leave this exercise is just to take note of these three big fears and see if you can be mindful of yourself in the creative process, falling into the trap. Mm. Trap of the fear of mediocrity or the fear of the status quo or the fear of settling. Mm-hmm. And you can also work with these strengths and weaknesses as a reminder for yourself of who you are and, and why you came here. And just use it as a shortcut for now as you're still building up clarity with your soul because the soul speaks in archetypes. And, and there's, um, obviously a lot of freedom in the land of soul to be a sage when you're on a call with a young person or to be a ruler when you're in the kitchen with your family or to be a visionary when you're in your creative process, but to really ground yourself in, in who you are and what you're doing and why you're here. I think we very fulfilling for you, very satisfying and um, lead to a lot of delicious progress uh, on your transformation journey. Another word that that has come out of this week has been being prompted out of that conversation around curing in contrast to healing was, oh, well, what does a metaphysical designer do? Sound like a metaphysician? <laughs> um, it's kind of healing healing through conversation it's the thing that I keep hearing from people is you just have a calm presence and even if that's all that you were adding to this particular meeting or this particular conversation that's enough and and I think that's how if I'm dealing with those dragons, it would be to go, I've always been enough. <laughs> to defeat those dragons of mediocrity and, you know, feeling like I, I have this imposter syndrome that I'm contending with. It's, well, just be. Just be present and that's good too. This is the Language of Creativity Podcast.